So in the last few weeks, we've been talking about, uh, we've been talking about margin and how to create that space. We talked for a few weeks about time and how time is so important. I mean, that's the stuff life is made of, right? Then we talked about, we've been talking about money here and there a little bit, talking about the idea that, that you know, the fact is most people would like to be more generous. It's just they can't because their finances are right up against their bills and there's no room in there, no margin. There's no way for them to do more. And some of you have been at different stages in life where you remember what that's like. Um, you know, our son Theo, he, I saw some ramen noodles in our house recently. <laughs> and it just shot me back to one summer when I literally had, literally had no money. You know, people say literally and they don't mean literally. I meant literally. I had no money. I had nothing. But I could afford ramen because remember ramen is like a nickel for each one of those little things. I mean, it's probably the least healthy thing you can eat, right, with all the preservatives or whatever's in it. I don't know. I mean, it's like a brick of stuff, but it tastes good, right? And it kind of gets you through that meal. And I mean, literally, it was, <laughs> it was 7-Eleven burritos. You know those burritos that were a quarter or whatever? Am I the only one? Anybody else? No one else ate like that? All right. I, okay. <laughs> Some of you are looking like, that is so disgusting. But you know what? If that's all you got, that's all you got. But, but as, you, as you mature and grow older in life and you, you, you save, hopefully. So we've talked about some of the things. Trust God that you're not buried in debt. That's not his plan for you. We've talked about the idea that you need to develop a plan and have a budget. Know, know where that money's going. We've talked about attacking that debt you know, and, and how to make that happen. Something that uh, was interesting. Years ago, I was a part of a church that we were really invested in racial reconciliation and so we brought in all these trainers, and one of the ones we brought in was from an organization called, um, well, it's Ruby Payne, and it's a framework for understanding poverty. She, she's an interesting person because what she's done is she's, she's put some of these things in different areas, make you think about it differently. And basically, what she did is she said people in, in lower class, I hope I'm not triggering anybody here today, but lower class, middle class, upper class, that's what she does. So think about this for a minute. They're, people in those different groups, they... They look at different things differently. So, for instance, education in lower class, typically they look at it as a waste of time, not necessary, not helpful. And if you break out of that and go get an education, then you think you're too good for us now, that kind of thing. Middle class thinks of education as a way to get ahead, to get a better job. You need that to jump to the next level. Upper class think of uh, education as an opportunity for connections. So you go to the right school, meet the right people, and then you have it's just a different worlds that we live in. What Ruby Payne says is that the, the way America is engineered, at least right now, is to operate on middle class rules, the way the middle class works. So in handling money, generational debt. I'd never heard the term generational debt before. What she does is talk about how debt, you can have situational debt. Maybe you have a huge expense or lose a job or go through a divorce. I mean, there's things like that where debt is not who you are or what you're used to, but you're living in it. What's unfortunate, though, is a lot of Americans, they say 70% are in tremendous debt. But I'm so excited about the group here who went through financial peace. And again, so thankful for the, for the, the team who led that. The Gologlis ran that class and over 40 people, and they've retired over, I think she said like $47,000 in debt in the last nine weeks. Can you just give them a hand? Because that's an amazing, amazing thing. <clears throat> Today we're going to learn something that's a big principle. It's something that I've, I've read this parable many times, but never saw the things in it that, that I see in it now. And here's, here's kind of the basis of it, if you think about this for a minute. 
Money, money more than anything else in life has the potential to become for us a God substitute. It's funny, you know, we, we think if we just had money, we'd be just fine. But, and that's true and not true. When, when we had the, the video with Dave Ramsey, I was really amused by what he said. He says, you know, having more money, it, it doesn't do what you think. Remember what he said? It magnifies what's already there. If, if you're greedy, you're just really that much more greedy. If you're, if you're angry, you're just more angry and have power to do bad things with it. And he talked about if you're gra- grateful, you're still going to be grateful. It's just different. But some of us, we look to, to money with, for the things that really God is supposed to do for us. And the things that only God can do for us. We look to money and, and possessions as a source of satisfaction or significance and security. And really, that's not what that is supposed to do for us. God is supposed to hold that place in our lives. We look for it as we're going to live our lives not for God, but for money. And then it ends up being the thing that drives us. And we end up worshiping it. And it becomes an idol. And we never intended it to do that. Jesus said something very interesting. He says, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve them both. <clears throat> You need to make money serve God, not you serve it. You're going to serve somebody. Now, I know this dates me incredibly, but <clears throat> does anybody remember when Bob Dylan became a Christian? Anybody old enough to remember that or care? I was never really a big fan. I'm just going to be honest. I mean, kind of that whiny voice. Remember how he sang all the time? But does anybody remember that song, You Gotta Serve Somebody? It was a big deal at the time because he was a highlighted you know, artist and kind of an edgy guy, and then he becomes a Christian. And then he writes this song that, that really cuts down the right down the middle. And people, I remember people hearing it like, wow, he's putting it all out there. He's just saying it as it is. I want to read you some of the lyrics. And you can just put in the whole, the voice if you want. <laughs> he said, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or maybe the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And, and all the things he says. You may be a rock and roll addict prancing on stage. How funny is that? Uh, you may have money or drugs at your commands, women in a cage. You may be a businessman of some high degree thief or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor. They may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And he makes it so real in all these areas. He says, you may be a state trooper. You might be a young Turk. You might be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor, you may be blind or lame, you may be living in another country in another name, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a construction worker working on a home, you may be living in a mansion, you may be living in a dome. <laughs> I don't know what that is, just rhymed, I bet. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> you might own guns or even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord, you might even own banks, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barbershop, you may not know how to cut hair. But, or you may be somebody's mistress or somebody's heir, but you have to serve somebody. You might like to wear cotton or might like to wear silk. You might like to drink whiskey or might like to drink milk. <laughs> so they're just funny to me now because I remember at the time everybody's like, wow, he's hitting everybody here. Okay. You might like to eat caviar. You might like to eat bread. You might be sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king-sized bed. I'm just going to read the one more, more line. You might, you might, this is the funniest of all. You might call me Terry. You might call me Jimmy. You might call me Bobby. You might call me Zimmy. <laughs> you couldn't find one to ride with Jimmy. Okay. You might call me RJ. You might call me Ray. You can call me anything, but no matter what you say, you got to serve somebody. You have to serve somebody. Everybody serves somebody. Might be you or might be God, but you choose. 
That's the beautiful thing about Christianity and the reality of it all. He gave you free will because he wants you to choose him. And you know that when you choose something, there's way more power in it than when somebody tries to make you do something. And the fact is we all serve somebody. So this parable we're going to look at, it's one of Jesus' longest parables. It's one of his longest that he told. Most of the parables are actually pretty short. I mean, some of them have a lot more detail, but in this one, he, he really emphasizes this a lot. And it, we call it the parable of the talents. That's what most people call it. And I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, it's easy to do this with some of the words in the Bible. When he said talent, I automatically think of talents. You know, like somebody who can sing or draw or something like that. And it's not wrong. I mean, God gives you those gifts, but that's not what the talent was. That's what, what that was was a measurement. It was a measurement of weight. And in the original uh, Greek, it actually uses the word talent. So you, it says he gave them bags that were one talent, five ta- uh, three, or two talents, and five talents. So just to give you a frame of reference of what he was giving the people before we read this, the talent, like I said, was a measure of weight. So if the talent that he was giving them, they say a talent varied in weight between 58 and 80 pounds. I never looked at it that way, did you? I looked at it as just kind of this little bag he handed them. It's not. It's a big deal. Because, here's what they said, that in the original language, what he meant, what the hearers would have understood, which is what matters, they would have understood that to be about the equivalent of 58 to 80 pounds. If that was in silver at the time, they said that that would be about 15 years wages. That's a lot of money. If, if we just say somebody made in our, in our dollars today 50000 a year, I don't know what you make, but 50000 a year, and you just multiply that out to $750,000 just in one bag, one bag. Or, or let's do the math another way. If we were to do the math like that and just cut it in the middle, 58 to 80, and say it's 70, so if you took 70, 17, uh, or the, the, the current, I just looked it up this morning just to make it as current as possible, the, the worth of silver right now, silver uh, selling right now is $17 an ounce, so if you... If you do the math, that's $272 a pound. And I know there's people in here who are gifted incredibly like this. They could probably do the math with me while I'm talking. And then if you multiply that by the 70 pounds, you're talking about $19,040 in silver. If you did it in gold, and the NIV just goes ahead and says gold. The New Living Translation says silver, but we don't know what it was. It was just a measure. But if you did it in gold, right now gold is selling for $1,469 an ounce. So if you do that math, that's $23,500 a pound. So one bag would have been the equivalent of $1.6 million. Does that matter? Here's what matters is he was giving them a lot of money. Okay. So let's take a look at this. Honestly, as I look at this, this changes everything. He starts off, Jesus starts off and he says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. Now, if you're a student of scripture, you should wonder what, what's your first question here? What's again? Again what? Right? Where is this placed in Scripture? Because, you know, Matthew, as he ordered his, his stories and parables, he put them in an order in a certain reason. And he says, again, for a purpose. He has a purpose in mind because what Jesus had been doing is telling a sequence of stories and parables. He was teaching about the kingdom of God. And all of them had, they built on another, one another. And they talked about how you can trust God and that, that everything else will let you down. But God, you can be trusted. And life is not guaranteed. And you need to be ready when the bridegroom comes. The story right before this is about the ten virgins who weren't ready. They were told to get ready and they didn't get ready. And then he tells this parable. He tells them that persecution is inevitable for Christians. 
As Christians, we like to think that it's always going to be wonderful. And we live in the United States, and it's been wonderful most of the time for Christians. But that won't always be the case. In fact, in this time we're living right now, most of the things that Christians stand for are being attacked. And you're being called evil and mean because you stand up for values that are clearly Christ's values. That babies are alive and they matter. You're going to be attacked. And not to be too heavy about all this, but this parable in particular makes an implication that a lot of times we save for funeral services. So again, not to be too heavy, but one day we're going to be held account for our, what we do with our life. Everything is going to be held account. And Jesus is telling the people that it matters what you do. You can't just float through life. It actually matters. So he starts off and he says, again, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a man going a long trip. And he says this. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one. Now, this is a new living, and it says it's silver. But two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. So what do you know? You know, it's a wealthy man. But Jesus' stories weren't just stories. Who, who is the wealthy man? It's God. He's telling you a story, but he's using it to teach him a, a very important scriptural, theological story about who God is in the kingdom of God. So the wealthy man is actually God. And as he's doing that, he says he's calling in his servants. And who are his servants? You. Weans. <laughs> Usins, weans. All y'all. We are. If you belong to him, you're his servant, and he's calling you in, and he chooses to give them things. And he, he's leaving for a long journey. We don't know how long he's going to be away. Do you see how this works? You see how it fits? He's God. He's giving us things, and we're supposed to be entrusted with it, and he, we don't know how long he's going to be gone, but he's going to return. There's something really important in this verse. I don't know if you caught it. There's a really important word right in the beginning. I know you're looking at it, you're like, wonder which word he's talking about. Do you hate that? <laughs> Are you like that? I don't know why. I'll come home and I'll say, hey, honey, guess what? She's like, don't want to guess. <laughs> and that's cool. Not everybody likes to guess. I don't know why we do that. I just do it. I don't know why. Can anybody guess what the important word is? I'm doing it. But He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them. A lot of people, they struggle right there. Wait, 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 wait. Well, what are you talking about? Actually, it shows ownership and possession. It's his. <laughs> Who did all the, all the gold and silver belong to? Him. It was his. Not only that, who did he call? His servants. So, so two things belong to him. The, the money and us. We both belong to him. It, it really, you could even look at this as it's a theology about ownership. Who owns what? We like to have this idea that we control and own things. Even, we even say we own our houses, but if you've got a mortgage, you don't actually own it, right? The bank owns it. You're paying for it. You might own a lot of it or a percentage of it, but you don't own it yet. It's not really owning. <laughs> it, here's what it means. It all belongs to God. Everything is his. We have this illusion that it's ours, but it's not really. And, and if that bothers you, let's, let's do this. Let me ask you a couple questions. First of all, before we even get into the rest of this, is God good? I know you all said that, but I mean, do you really believe that? Is he a good, good father? 
Because if he is, then that changes everything. If you doubt that at any point, then you're going to struggle with things being his because you don't trust him. You don't trust that he's good. Is he a good master? Because you belong to him too. And if you believe he's good, then you will trust him to do good by you. And that what he wants for you is the best thing for you. I like to think of this now in terms of a good parent. Good parents care for their children, give them good things, give them good restrictions, give them good rules, and love them and do what's best for them, even if they don't see it yet. Oh, man. What, what's good, then? What does good mean? Good by whose definition? Changes a lot, doesn't it, when you're talking about what's good by God's definition based on ours? Because there's a lot of times I notice in my prayers, it's basically me telling God, hey, this is what's good and this is what you need to do because I think it should be like this. And then thankfully a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times I feel like God's saying, I might have an idea about what might be good that you don't see yet. And I have to step back and say, you know what, God? This is what I think would be good. But I know what you think is good is actually good. And I want you to help me be okay with that and teach me what is good. What's the best thing? Sometimes what's best for you doesn't look like what's best for everybody else. And what, what's best for you may not be the best for the next person or the next person. Because we serve a God who knows us and he created us with incredible diversity and, and individualistic talents and things. And he has good things for us. So what is success when you define it like that? And when you define it like this and you serve a God that's eternal, and for us we see just from here to here, and he sees from here all the way to here, and he sees all of this. So when he says what success is, his idea of success is actually better than what you could ever, ever imagine. But it may not add up to what you think is great. So for most of us, we think good and best and success and all those things has to do with money and accumulation and power and control and titles and accomplishments. But it may not be the case. So do you trust him? Is he good? Anybody else do this as a parent where you stand in the, in the pool and your kids maybe are on vacation and you're at a hotel or something and they're on the side of the pool and you're like, jump to me. Come on, I got you. Right? And you're like, come on, jump, jump, jump. I got you. Right? You've done, anybody done that? I feel like I'm talking to, okay, you've done that, right? And then you see them jump and you love that sense of wild abandonment where they trust you. And then you step a little further back. Come on, let's do it. And they're looking like, uh, they trusted you when you were right here. But then when you get to right here, hey, that changes things a little bit. I'm the same dad. I'm still standing in this much water, Right? Has anybody else missed? I mean, seriously. <laughs> right away, Rex is like, yeah. Okay. Right? Have you missed? And then what happens? It takes a while to get them to trust you again, right? You didn't want to miss? I remember one time we were at a pool, and I, I don't remember exactly how it went down. I just know one of the other kids was on the side of the pool and had let go, and I'm like, oh, geez, they're dropping. I had to grab this one, and then this one's jumping, and they're both, they're, and then they're both like, Dad. Sometimes it feels like that in life, doesn't it? And you want to trust God, but you feel like you've slipped or, or let go of the side of the pool or he didn't quite catch you the way you thought. And you wonder, God, what is going on? See, we live in a world that 
it's not always going to add up perfectly because there's things that are going to happen that God is catching you, but it doesn't always look like what you think. It just doesn't. So you still need to come back to that answer. Do you trust him? Is he good? Yes, he is. And if you trust him and you see that it's actually his money that he's giving to you, his child, then the way that we, he wants you to handle it changes things. It changes things. Because then you can overcome greed and, and, and being out of control and worry all the time because if you handle it the way he says and if you trust him that the, his way is best, then it'll trust, you can trust him. You know, I was, I was thinking, let's, let's do a little survey here of some of uh, leaders in the scripture and the way, what they said. So Moses said this about God. He said, look to the highest heavens and the earth. Everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Then David said, the earth is the Lord's, everything in it. The world, all who live in it, everything is his. Now, this is interesting. Job, when he was going through all the things, if you know the story of Job, all these things he lost, his family, his, his riches, his health, everything. And God says to him, no one has ever given me anything that I must pay back because everything under the sky belongs to me. And you might read that and say, okay, that was kind of mean to say to a guy who just lost everything. Well, that's if you think God's not good. If he's good, what he's actually saying to Job and he fulfilled later is, I have it all. I can take care of this. I can bless you and I can return this to you. Even in the middle of things that are so harsh and horrible. The prophet Haggai says this, the silver mine is mine, the gold is mine. So if it, however you read that parable, it says, declares the Lord of hosts. Again, in the book of Psalms, this is really interesting. If I were hungry, and I reverse 10 and 12 because they flow better this way. If I, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine. And all that's in it, every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. We could go on and on. We do this all day. The point is perspective. Whose is it? If we could see our money and possessions as really God's, then we would treat things differently. If we realize that he loves you intensely, and because of that he trusts you with things, then it changes everything. Look at how Jesus worded this. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground outside your father's care. So don't be afraid. You are worth more to God than many sparrows. He chose such a common bird. Most people don't even like them. They're brown and they're just, the way their colors are, they kind of blend into the dirt. I mean, they don't stand out, you know. I was reading the other day, I think it's seven states chose the cardinal as their state bird. Why? Because that red bird is just such a stark contrast to a sparrow. And God says, I love you. I notice when they fall, I have you on my mind. You're always on my mind. If, if I believe it's God's money, then I'm going to be grateful for what he entrusts to me. It changes things. Ecclesiastes, this sounds kind of harsh, but we all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed on the day that we were born. We can't take our riches with us. It doesn't matter how much you have or don't have. The bottom line is none of it goes with you. You could live till you're 80 or 70 or 90 or 100 or you're still leaving the world with nothing. Accept what you send on ahead and invest in God's kingdom. Other than that, that's it. Here's the point. It, it all belongs to God. We're just his stewards. He's put us in charge of things, but it's his. 
Now, I know some people are like, and I've talked to people like this. No, 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 you don't understand. I earned this. I worked for it. I'm the one who did it. I had the idea, and I made it happen, and I worked the long hours, and I served, and I suffered, and I made this happen. And I understand that thinking. But let me just ask you some questions. Who gave you that physical strength? Who gave you those gifts and talents? Maybe you were born into a family that, that had a different view of education and worth, and you grew up that way. I'm fascinated by entrepreneurial minds because I didn't grow up in a home like that. And I've seen those, and even in all the years in ministry, I've seen young people who just had that mind, and they're, they're buying and selling and trading, and they're, they're making things happen. That's a gift. It's an amazing thing that people have. It's just how you end up using that and who really gave that to you. I mentioned a minute ago, some of you were probably doing that math right along with me. I, I, I like math, but I don't do it in my head like that. I know people who do it like that. That's a gift. It's interesting because Deuteronomy speaks right to that argument. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as it is to this day. I think a lot of times we, we, we start to feel entitled or maybe you do acquire some wealth and you think, finally, I've got this. And we, we're not grateful anymore for what God has given us. I heard the story once about this young couple. They're young kids and they hadn't been able to afford a vacation and they're just scraping to get by and, you know, money's tight. You know how much diapers cost? Diapers are expensive. I mean, you wouldn't think so, but they are. I mean, it's something that's gross and you throw away, but it's expensive. So this particular young couple, they had a, a rich uncle, and he said, hey, you can go stay in my beach house. So they're so excited, and they get there. But right when they get there, they realize, he said beach house, but the beach is like two blocks away. But it's still a beach house because it's two blocks away, right? You can look at it both ways. You can say, it's not on the beach, but it's only two blocks away. And they walk in, and I don't know what they're thinking, but the cupboards didn't have any food in it, but they're like, you know what, at least we have cupboards and we're close to the store and we can get something. And, you know, they went along on and on. It wasn't exactly what they thought, but guess what? It was a gift, so they were grateful. I don't know, for a lot of us, you know, we, we measure the gift and we think if it's not exactly this, then I'm not gonna be grateful. But the truth is, we need to be grateful. Let me read the rest of the story to you. And I'll, I'll skip around a little bit but because it, it's a very long parable. But the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant who had two bags also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give account how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five bags more. Master, you gave me five bags to invest and I earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been hand, faithful in handling the small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had the two bags did the same thing. He multiplied it and got the good word from the master. Then the servant with the one bag came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it beneath the earth. So here's your money back. The answer might surprise you. The master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops and didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest from it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have abundance. From those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
I know in your mind you probably think, wow, that sounds so harsh. That's not how it works, is it? Because most of the time we, we compare to one another and we think, well, they have this and I have this and we think it should be equal. And, and it's so sad in our society today. We're so envious and we're envious of the rich or inheritance or people who have an easier life. And what we don't see behind the scenes is the hard work that went in to have them, to get them to have what they have. <laughs> you might need help with this ownership theology, the, the idea that it all belongs to God and we're stewards. I have an idea. This, this may sound radical to you, but I read this and it cracked me up. What, what, if, what if we went through your day? Let's say when you woke up, here's what you did. First thing you did is said, God, thank you for your bed. And then as you walked into the bathroom, God's bathroom, thank you for this bathroom you've given me. And what if you turned on the shower, God, thank you for this water that you've given me. And what if as you brush your teeth, I recommend that first thing. God, thank you for this. And as you went into God's kitchen and poured a cup of God's coffee and enjoyed that with your honey nut Cheerios that were also God's and got into God's truck and went to the job God gave you and then later you come back to God's house and you sit down in God's chair and turn on God's TV and turn on God's football team, the Chiefs, to Monday night, tomorrow night. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's not into football. I'm sure he's into baseball, right? Because he got the Angels at least over there. And I know that's horrible, but. <clears throat> oh, the Saints. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking. Yeah. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I'm pretty sure God doesn't care about football, but he cares about your heart. And in fact, that's what this is all about. It's all about your heart. Does he need your money? Nope, he doesn't. He actually doesn't need your money. I, I bet you he didn't even really want your money. What he wants is your heart. The problem is your money is usually in the way of your heart. That's the problem. If we went through the day verbally acknowledging the fact that all these things we enjoy come from him, it changes everything. Everything. I hurt my knee again the other day, my other knee. <laughs> Like, what in the world? And uh, I was really having a hard time walking. You know how much you appreciate walking when you can't walk? You know what you appreciate? And you look at people just walking and you think, I bet they don't even appreciate it. <laughs> kind of goofy, isn't it? Because we don't. We just do it because we just enjoy it all the time and we don't even think about it. But the fact is you become appreciative. And the more you would acknowledge the fact that it's, it's his and he gave it to you. You know what else this story tells us? And it's kind, of a, it's kind of something you may not have seen, and I didn't even notice it before either. But it's interesting because God, he shows us something that we should be more content with. He allocates his resources the way he, he allocates them. We, Jesus thinks it's normal for some people to have different amounts. It's interesting, isn't it? I, I'm going to say it this way. You need to trust God with others. You need to be content because you don't know. You don't, we make these assumptions, but you don't know what people have been through to get where they are. You don't know. You do not know. You do not know. <laughs> I was thinking about this story a lot this, this week, of course. And I thought about this. What if that guy with that got the one bag? What if God knew he was a passive, indecisive, lazy worker and he gave him a chance? He trusted him to do better this time. But he knew who he was, and he knew how he was. 
And then in the end, when he came up and failed, God knew that that was going to be the case, or very well could be the case, but he gave him a chance. What if he knew that the one with five bags had gone through financial peace, <laughs> and she had paid down all her debt? What if he knew that already? What if he knew that because of the track record, they were living debt-free and that God could trust them with that money because they'd already proved that they were faithful with what they had? And because of that, he knew that, and he knew that they would, they would be grateful for it and invest it and grow it and invest in God's kingdom. He knew that. I'll get, I bet you, though, as, God, as Jesus told that story, that's not how people would have thought about it because we got this idea that fair is equal, and it's never that way. He doesn't do that. He, he treats us differently than that. I have a cousin who used to say this. He used to say, yeah, there's, there's a fair, but it only is once a year in Sedalia. <laughs> you know what my guess is? That if human nature is what it is, that the person who got the one bag really wanted two, and the person who got two really wanted four, and the person who, five, who got five wanted all eight. Because that's how we are. Here's what I'm going to say, though. Let's worry about what God trusts you with, not what he's doing with someone else. And maybe you could learn something from the five-bag person, but don't envy them. You, you know envy's a sin, right? It's sad to me that certain political systems seem to be built on envy, but that's actually not what God wants for our heart. It's not envy. It's, it's the very destructive thing in your life. You, you might be sitting here and thinking, but God, I know you could trust me with more. Then show him that. Be faithful in little, and he will give you more. Because he actually cares about you. And in financial peace, they say, if you want to live like else, no one else, you've got to live like no one else. A lot of times we look at somebody, maybe they're up here financially, and we say, I want to live like that. Well, you've got to get there. It doesn't work. Like, you just don't start there. I remember people coming to our home years ago, and they'd say, whoa, look at this. Oh, this is so nice. And then we finally told them, well... Yeah, that was Ikea on clearance. This was a garage sale. This was this. This was this. And they're like, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't always start the other way around. Here's kind of a sad thing, but Newsweek did a study a while back. And they asked people, uh, what would it take to make you happy? How much money are we talking about that would make you happy? They found that people who made 25000 a year on average said that they would need to make about 54000 a year in, in order to be happy. The same study showed that people who made 100000 a year, on average, said that they would need to make $192,000 a year to feel satisfied and happy. Here's what's sad. Through the entire study, an exhaustive study, nearly every single person said that they would need to be what ended up being twice as much as what they already had to make them happy. And like David Ramsey said, if you're not happy now, you're not going to be happy as when you're rich. You just won't be happy. You need to trust God that he can allocate his resources. And you need to be grateful for what he blesses you with. And then as you're content, you work hard. Be a good steward. Be a good steward. One, one last insight. <laughs> if it's his money, and he's going to hold us accountable for how we manage the money, here's a question you might ask yourself. How does the master want his money to be managed? This is something that's interesting because he actually talks a lot about money in the Bible. And some people struggle with that. And, and you know what? I have, I have avoided talking about money for many years. I, I was, it's been years ago, but I, I, re I really felt convicted about it because I realized I hadn't talked about money in a long time. And I'm like, why would I not do this? And I had to go back through my mind. And it's just because I think in the, in the, 
it seemed like there was a time in the, where the church was mismanaging money and living extravagantly on God's money and not being responsible with God's money. And I went through a personal experience as a young youth pastor where our pastor embezzled and, and misused the church's resources. And it was horrible. How can you do that? With, how can you sleep at night and look yourself in the mirror and know that you've mismanaged what God has entrusted you about or with? God talks a lot about money. Proverbs 22, 7 says, it says the, the, the borrower is slave to the lender. He doesn't want us in debt. We talked about that. Last, last week, we talked about saving money. We talked about setting a budget. We talked about those things because they're important. Did you know God also wants you to enjoy money? That's actually in the Bible, too. 1 Timothy 6, 17, the end of that uh, B, the, the last part says, their trust should be in God who, richly give, who God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. It, it also says in that same section in 1 Timothy that you should use your money to do good. You should be generous to those in need. That's the same section of scripture earlier where he says the love of money is the root of all evil. God has opinions about money. And if you handle it his way, it really makes a difference. He also talks about the tithe. And I know some people struggle with that. Uh, Malachi is probably the most famous verse in the Bible about this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is, he's quoting God here. I don't usually put the quotes on when I put the scripture verses up, but I did this because Malachi is quoting what God told him. See the double quotes up there? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord. It's one of the few things God says, test me. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room to, for it. And it's also in the New Testament. Some people say it's not, but it is right here. Jesus is talking. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What's he saying there? What he's saying is it's a heart issue. Tithing, yes, tithing's important, but more importantly, you're ignoring the other things because your heart is not in the right place. It really comes down to this. Do you trust God with his money? Do you trust him? Is it his? Do you trust him? Is he good? Does he want the best for you? Does it make sense that what he trusts you with, if you use it the way he told you to, that, that it would be the best way to use it? Yes. Will he care for you? Will he provide for you? <laughs> yes. I know the answer to all these questions is yes. It's funny, though, isn't it? And I know this is going to hurt a little bit, but I'm going to say it anyway. Isn't it funny, though? We, we pray to God to heal us, to save us, to save our kids, to fix our problems. And we trust him for those things. But then we don't trust what he says about money is the best thing. The good and the right thing for us. I'm going to ask you all to shut your eyes for a second here. You, you could be sitting here and, and be like, oh, man, we're all over the place today. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about communion. We're talking about these things. But guess what? They're all the same thing. With your eyes closed for a minute, I just want to ask you some questions. I've asked this question probably 10 times today. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you trust him with your heart? It's the heart that matters. And as I said a minute ago, unfortunately, sometimes your heart, uh, the wallet's in the way of the heart. This sermon today is not really, it's not about tithing. It's not about, it's not really even about giving. It's about your heart. Does he have your heart? There could be someone here today and maybe, 
you haven't given him your heart. Maybe there's been some reason you've been holding back. Maybe it's that trust thing. And maybe you felt like you were that little child that drunk, jumped and he didn't catch you at some point. You've been struggling with that. But today you're here and you realize he loves you and he cares for you. And you're willing to give him a chance with your heart. If that's you today, if you just raise your hand, I'd like to pray with you. And as a church, we would just like to welcome you. Anybody here at all like that, that you want to give him your heart? If you would just raise your hand really quickly. Anybody at all. Here's the next part of this today. I'm wondering if there's anybody here that maybe there's some areas in your life, maybe it's finances, maybe it's other areas where you realize, God, if this is true and this is yours and I'm yours, then I need to, I need to give you more of all of this and just turn it over to you because I do trust you. You're the ones I want to pray with today. Would you do me a favor, though? Would you all stand with me for a minute? We have some people prepared to pray with, with you. And I'd like, if you're, if you're one of those who's prepared to pray, if you're you know board member or wife or, or pastor wife on the prayer team, if you would come down to the front here on the right side. I know there's some people who um, need prayer for healing today. Some people have some big decisions that they want help with prayer. Maybe you're here today and you... You're realizing, God, I need to surrender my life to you. Maybe, maybe you're already a Christian, but there's things in your life that you've held back. And you need him to deal with those things with you today. I want to invite you to come down as we pray. And we will stand with you in prayer this morning for whatever you need prayer for. So why don't you come on if you need prayer. And I want to just lead us as a church in prayer. Father, as these people are coming forward to you for, for the different reasons that they have, I pray for me, but for each and every one in this room. God, we know that you are good. I know that to the depth of my heart and soul. But I also have to be honest, God, there's places where I have held back and I've doubted. And my trust has not been full. There's been things that I've blamed on you and held you responsible for. God, there's been choices in my life that I've made that have, that have not necessarily worked out the way I thought they should. And I pray right now for me and for these in the room, God, that you would accept my apology for that. God, I'm sorry. I do trust you. We trust you. And as individuals, we come before you right now, and I'm going to lay those things at your feet. I'm going to ask you and trust you to take care of those things for for relationship issues, for financial issues, for, for, for people that I know that, that need you as Savior, God, that you have their heart and their mind in your hand and you love them and care about them. God, I pray for those things, for the physical needs that we have. And I ask that in Jesus' name that you would meet every one of those needs. I know that you are good and I trust you for that. God, I, I lay these things at your feet this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name.